Today on Stick to Football, a lot of fun as players are opting out across the land, plus prospect breakdowns on Caleb Farley and Rashad Bateman. You're going to love those two high-profile prospects for the 2021 NFL Draft. And, of course, your draft on draft questions as we continue to ease back in. Happy Friday morning, Mello and Connor. As we sit here Thursday morning, 60 NFL players have opted out. We're going to talk a lot about that, but... I'm kind of digging the new stick-to-football schedule, not going to lie. It feels like the old days a little bit with the the Monday-Thursday thing, but I don't know if it's – it just hit me today, Connor. We don't have to record Thursdays at 4.30 anymore because Mello retired from teaching over the break. It is like, eh, Thursday at 9, you want to do the show? Yeah, cool, let's do it. I mean, I absolutely love it. I, I know uh, just waking up in the morning and covering everything that's happened in the last 48 hours for us is – I think it's exciting. You don't have to sit around and wait all day and, and kind of just die to die to do it. And I'm sure for Mr. Mello over there, this feels much better than texting us from school right now. No, I'm I'm so glad that I don't have to inconvenience you guys with my <laughs> schedule anymore. Jeez. No, I am really looking forward to it as well. And like the pandemic thing, this has been such a weird year anyway. But for me, like starting a new kind of career and and not having to try to double dip and teach and be be a scout and do radio and all this other stuff. So it's nice to have the flexibility to just roll out of bed and be like, yep, let's go talk about football for an hour. Little different than uh, let me go teach 25 children. Teaching's and- great. Like, man, I, I'm going to miss it, but not the parents or the administrators. Like, those guys suck. Like, almost all of them. I would the think it'd be the great. opposite. I think it'd be like, I'm not going to miss those little bugger eaters. And everybody always <laughs> thinks that. Like, the students were the best part. They were so cool and funny and like... I've even like said a couple times, like, hey, I'm probably going to come back and like sub for a day just so I could be back in the classroom. Then you don't have to deal with all the parents and the drama of administrators and other teachers. So, yeah, it's, it's exciting. I'm really looking forward to being on Stick to Football every episode. And then obviously like the radio show that we started, it's going to be a good deal for me. Yeah, I, today it just hit me like, oh, God, he doesn't have to go to school. Like, this is his job now. So I went to Walmart the other day and was I was buying school supplies for my daughter's and I saw all of it set up. And usually that is such a stressful, like shitty situation for me because it's like, oh, man, it's coming back this year. Don't care. Whatever. <laughs> yeah. Buying all the oh, crayons. I'm like, oh, I'm happy. <laughs> you, know, you want some extra glue sticks? Get some extra glue sticks. I don't care. Yeah. No, yeah. Don't have to hoard these for my class for my <laughs> one, classroom. One anymore. for glue, one for sniffing. Everyone's happy. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Man, yeah. Connor, this is something you have to look forward to when you have children. That stuff is so expensive. Uh, $140 oh, is what I spent for a kindergartner and a first uh-huh. grader. And that's and that and what do they need? Like pencils. a pack of pencils yeah. and but now they need like crazy. they need headphones, you know, mm-hmm. like that's a and you can't like I mean I guess I could have got them like, you know, some cheap headphones, but, like kind of last. Yeah. So it's 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 wild, yeah. Yeah. I remember when I was in high school, the big thing was um this calculator everyone had to have that was like a hundred and twenty dollars. And it's like I just think back to that. I'm like, that is so insane to me. Like, when you get to college, forget it. But you choose to go to college, right? Like, when you go to college, you're like, all right, well, I know this is going to be really fucking expensive, and and it's going to take me a while to pay all this off, especially books each semester and tuition. But I remember the big thing was the over $100 calculator. But now I see kids use, like, iPads in school. That that made me feel old for the first time. (laughs) Yeah, as you you 
slowly creep towards 30. Yeah, you, you're not old yet. You got a while. Uh, so we do have news that's happening, even though there's no actual football yet. Uh, players are opting out. We're recording Thursday morning. Today is the deadline for NFL players to opt out. 4 p.m. Eastern today is the deadline. Uh, so we're, we are going to talk about that, but it could become outdated as soon as we stop recording today. So we're going to be mindful of that. But two big-name college football players have said and and they in you know talks with reporters have said they are playing in 2020 that's Jamar Chase and Justin Fields and Melo Jamar Chase it when we did the show Monday morning, we said, you know, here's some guys who could maybe consider opting out. Micah Parsons was one, and there is a report that he's opting out, although it hasn't been made official yet. But you mentioned Jamar Chase is a guy that maybe doesn't have anything to prove except for that love for the tiger on his helmet, and apparently he loves it a whole lot because he's coming back. Now, I'm glad that we get to see him again. I really like Jamar Chase's game, uh, eager to see what he can do. There's still some really good SEC corners that he's going to match up against. I really just think that this guy's a lock. Like last year with Jerry Judy going in the first round, like you saw that in the spring. And Jamar Chase, I think it probably happened earlier. And I think, I don't want to speak for you guys, but I think Jamar Chase would have been wide receiver one in last year's draft class. Like if there's a player that doesn't have anything left to prove, it might be like Sewell out of Oregon, Trevor Lawrence, and then Jamar Chase. Like those three guys, I, I think are pretty solid as like the top three guys in this class. So I don't think Jamar Chase has anything left to prove, but it is exciting that he's going to come back and try to do it. And if I'm Miles Brennan, I'm sending him like a Derek Jeter gift basket. Like, thank you so much, dude, <laughs> that you rose my draft stock so much by being here another year. Thank you so much. I don't think he has anything to prove. Um, uh, and I'll, I'll let Connor hop in here. He would have been the number one receiver for me last year. And that's knowing what we know off tape, not getting into, you know, if there's any injury history, anything like that, but just what we saw on tape last year, I think he was the best receiver in college. I'm with you there. He feels like one of the safest players in this entire class where if, you know, tomorrow he announces, hey, I changed my mind, uh, I'm I'm going to, you know, obviously opt out and get ready for the draft. I would sit there and go, okay, I really don't have a lot of questions. And I think the one question people had is, you know, how is the deep speed? There's reports coming out of LSU in, in the Feldman Freaks article that he's been working so hard on that, and he's already at a 4-4. I yeah. mean, Jamar Chase is running a 4-4. This isn't even fair. Now we're getting closer to, you know, is he Julio? No, but Julio to me is like the great, and we talk about it on the show all the time, he's the gold standard of wide receiver prospects. It feels like Jamar Chase is one of the closest things we've had to that as a wide receiver prospect. So I'm a little surprised. I'm almost a little nervous that he's going to play because I think the season's going to be weird when you you have a gold standard prospect like that you you kind of get nervous every time they take a big hit and, and don't get back up because you want them to be full go for the NFL mm -hmm. but of course for LSU it's it's really really exciting and you know what people need to do what what they want to do if it's in his heart that he wants to play LSU football this year he doesn't want to spend the next eight months in an Exos facility then, then good for Jamar Chase if that's what's best for him then that's great I look at him and I, I agree he's not Julio when I the first time I saw him play last year, I guess it was the Texas game. Uh, yes, it would have been. I would have sworn on my life he was six three. He plays yeah, so I much agree. bigger, and yes. it's almost like he's. I will not compare him to DeAndre Hopkins, but I'm just saying they're similar in that regard. Like you think Nuke six four, you know, and and when you watch Jamar Chase play, it's like I would have sworn that he was. Julio size. Well, yes, yeah, but six he's two not. six three, and yeah. he's not. He's six foot tall and two hundred eight pounds. Yes. Yeah. And they got him up to 208. Right. And I I agree with you guys. And even I like went and updated my big board recently and I was doing height weight. And even then I was still like, man, is it 
Is he really only six foot tall? Because he plays so much bigger than he is. But even like LSU list is, list him at six foot tall. Dude's probably 5'11", 5'10", and some change. But plays like he's 6'2". They are saying. He, he has to have yeah. long arms. Yeah. He has to. And they got him to 208, and they're like so happy about it because we have a very good source there. And I, after uh, I did the same thing, I put the height weight in, and I was like, this has to be wrong. He's young, he's grown. And I was like, how big is he really? And then he's like, yeah, he's like six and a half, 208. Like, okay. I, I will say that I think most of those LSU guys last year were pretty accurate on height weight. Yeah, that's true. So, I mean, maybe he is a true six foot or, you know, 5'11 and 7'8, something like that. So, last year we sat here in August and said, Jerry Judy's number wide receiver one, wide receiver one, wide receiver one. He's drafted wide receiver three. And I think that was uh, in all the surprises that happened this draft year, that was one of the biggest ones for me is Jerry Judy fell to 15 and he was the third receiver drafted. I look at this year's wide receiver class and a guy like, you know, Rashad Bateman, you have Jalen Waddell and Devonta Smith, Sage Surratt. I do think that as great as Jamar Chase is, that we could see him fall behind a Jalen Waddle if a team wants the, you know, a Henry Ruggs, a guy who's just, you know, 4-3 speed, you know, crazy athletic, great yak. And that's Jalen Waddle. And that's Jalen Waddle. So I do think as great as Jamar Chase is, I can't imagine him moving off that wide receiver one spot for me. He's my number two overall player right now. I will say, guys like Jalen Waddle, based on what teams want, could still be drafted ahead of him. Well, Jalen Waddle was the odd guy out at Alabama last year. They had four really good receivers. He was the young man on the roster. So I really think that they put him in that wide receiver four spot, even though he he's very talented. And you talk about speed just as fast as guys like Henry Ruggs. He has elite level speed, great punt returner too, but he's also going to be competing with Devonta Smith, who at 6'1", 175 is another guy who plays bigger than he is maybe not in catch radius or going up and making these stellar catches that dude is hard to tackle I've never seen a a receiver at 175 harder to tackle than Devonta Smith so this receiver class is really deep this year too you mentioned Sage Surratt like Rondale Moore coming back and being healthy this year could have a huge year and and like a Tyreek Hill mold 5'9 180 guy does it all Rashad Bateman who we've already talked about Chris Olave at Ohio State. This is going to be a really deep receiver class. So I do have Jamar Chase, receiver one. But I wouldn't be surprised if we see some of these other guys, maybe one of those Alabama guys, rise up and be the first receiver drafted. Maybe not change on my board, but I wouldn't be surprised, like you were saying, Matt. Maybe we see a Jalen Waddle have a Henry Ruggs type year where he does end up being drafted first. It's a super deep class. And I think what's interesting here, guys, is we're seeing a little bit of a trend where not all of them, but a lot of them are smaller wide receivers, right? Like Jalen Waddell, 5'10", 180, right? The big thing with Devontae Smith was that he weighed 170 pounds last year. Rondell Moore, he's muscled up as much as anyone in the country, but he's very short. And you look at Jamar Chase, who's supposed to be, you know, the gold standard of the entire class. We're not positive if he even stands six feet tall. And I think for, uh, you know, I can't speak for the guys, but I, I think you guys agree with me. We don't really care anymore if a guy is 6'3", nope. 6'4". 
It's just it's a matter of how he plays. With how the league has gone, you love to have those jump ball receivers, right? Like there's a reason T. Higgins and Denzel Mims went in the you know the top two rounds last year. There's a reason jump ball guys still get drafted pretty high. But do you need to be that guy to go in the top 20 picks? Not at all. And you're going to see a lot of that this year. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. Uh, one a good friend of ours, Daniel Jeremiah, they talk a lot about you want your wide receiver core to be built like a basketball team. And I love DJ, and I, I, I respectfully disagree with him on this. I think the league is changing where you look at teams like the Chiefs, they don't have a power forward unless it's Travis Kelsey. I like the Houston Rockets out there. Yeah, they're like, shoot, we're going small ball. Try to keep up, buddy. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's and I think you know last year's wide receiver class, this year's wide receiver class, like speed is everything right now in the NFL. Uh, let's transition. Another guy who said he's playing next year, Justin Fields, a quarterback who I'll tell you, I have watched every throw he made in 2019, and I am torn on him watching every throw he made. Teams are torn as well. Uh, I've talked to some scouts who say, like, man, you know, this is he's better than any Ohio State quarterback that we've ever seen. I do agree with that. Um, I, I think there's a lot to like. There are some areas for concern. And I'm glad we're going to see him come back because a lot of my issues on his 2019 tape, I think they can be excused away if you look at the knee injury and say, you know, man, he really wasn't driving the ball a lot. Uh, I, I think there were times that he kind of got deer in the headlights if you have a knee injury that's going to submit you in the pocket a little bit more and it's going to keep you from some of those drive ball throws that we see from the other top quarterbacks I'm very intrigued by Justin Fields I think that he has a chance to be a top five draft pick uh, folks are probably going to hate this but his build and the way he moves reminds me of Cam Newton now he's not that big he's not as fast I think he's more accurate though so I'll I'll piss off our fan base a little bit more I think he's Dak Prescott. That's we, not bad. Yeah, but yeah, I, I know that player. a lot of people are going to be like, oh, Dak Prescott, he sucks. Well, no, he doesn't. He's about to get paid a lot of money. I, I agree with you, though. I With Justin Fields, it seems like there's a lot of hype around him, and we talked about it on the, the previous show. He's the front runner for the Heisman Trophy, but I really think that he's QB3 in this class. And I, I do like that he's going back to Ohio State because I'm a huge college football fan, but also because I think it gives him a chance to put more tape out there and say, you know, it was a knee injury last year, and this is what I can do. It wasn't just this Ohio State offense that produces everything. And he's going to get his chance against a really good Big Ten schedule this year, uh, maybe with or without uh, Micah Parsons going against him at Penn State, but still good quality programs up there. that He can he – can, rise his draft stock probably more than any other quarterback in this class. I would agree with that. There is definitely an opportunity for Justin Fields where he's sitting there looking at it going, man, for a couple of years now, I've been the guy behind Trevor Lawrence. And he could probably sit there and even argue that early on in the season, his film was better than Trevor Lawrence in those first couple of weeks of the year. And, you know, I know Fields had been banged up. Lawrence really, really bounced back and turned it on later in the year. So for Justin Fields, he probably... And then, of course, there's Trey Lance in this equation, that he is absolutely in this equation with those two quarterbacks as a prospect. So I think when you look at Fields, uh, you know, it makes sense for him to try to play out this year because, like Mello said, he does have the most to gain, I think, or he's in the conversation of having the most to gain. When you watch him play... 
Definitely could see the Dak and Cam Newton vibes. I think as a prospect, you look at Carson Wentz at North Dakota State. Him and Fields do some of the same things, right? They like to get outside of the pocket. They both hold the ball a decent amount of time to make a play down the field. Now, that can work against you or could work for you. Now, Wentz is really, really developed at the NFL level to a different player. I think he's been a much better player. He's taken huge leaps compared to when he was a prospect. But in terms of ceiling... Fields has that same kind of big ceiling because of the mobility, because of the arm strength, because of the raw talent. And I think between the hashes of the big three quarterbacks, he's the most accurate. But when you get those outside the hash throws, move off your spot throws, I think that's where he's struggling the most right now, which, again, it goes back to that could be the knee injury. You know, if you're struggling to plant and and drive out to those uh, outside the hash throws. Was it a left knee or a right knee? I don't remember. I don't have that in my notes, and right now I'm really wishing I did because that yeah, makes a world of difference. Can make a huge difference there. But I do think that that on Twitter, Mello, you and I've been painted as oh, they don't like Justin Fields. I like Justin Fields a lot. <laughs> uh, these quarterbacks this year, Trevor Lawrence, Trey Lance, Justin Fields, are really, really good. And I think there's going to be a lot of conversation about the things that each does well. They're very different players, and so like that would be my ask of the stickies and our our list is like don't put people in a box yet there's a lot of football hopefully yet to be played uh, and a lot of evaluation left if you think about it we always say quarterback evaluations really start in January of the draft year we have a long time before January and like just because we say like this guy has question marks it, it doesn't mean that we don't like him like everybody that's on a big board has question marks Trevor Lawrence has question marks right yeah he did not play well last year and he has not played up to the Trevor Lawrence hype so he has a lot to come back to Trey Lance another quarterback is he just beating the crap out of some really lesser opponents or is he a special quarterback I actually think that he is going to be a pretty special quarterback but if he comes out this year and shits the bed and throws a bunch of interceptions then I'm going to own up to it and I'm going to move him down the board like everybody especially the quarterback position has question marks where you want to say well can he do this is he a product of this system and Justin Fields going to get another year to prove us that he is a special quarterback at Ohio State yeah I will say If we don't have a college football season, and not just to be hammering it, I'm bringing it up because it's it's an important question. Evaluating these three is going to be very difficult. Like I I think us three know what they are right now, and I think we have a lot of questions. We might have the least amount of questions about Trey Lance. Yeah, I do for sure. When you watch the three play, now I, I do agree the competition thing. It should always make you nervous, but he was so flawless that it, it's not as big of a deal. But with Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence, like I would really like to see them play these junior seasons and, and answer some of those questions, just clean up some things, mostly accuracy things, which I, we've said on this show for years, if you listen to it, when this show evaluates quarterbacks, number one is always accuracy. And that's why it's, it's really important with these guys. I'm confident they're going to be top 10 picks, but just saying for the pure evaluation standpoint, this season matters a lot more than people realize to them. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not just like, look at last year. Joe Burrow comes from absolutely nowhere to have the greatest season ever by a quarterback and be the number one pick. I don't know that there's a guy, you know, I don't think we're going to see JT Daniels do that. I don't know if there's a guy out there who they're going to make that kind of rise. But this season does matter for that quarterback evaluation. Uh, I want to stay on college football. I'm going to jump around a little bit from what we had planned to do. Uh, Big Ten players follow their Pac-12 brethren and unite and make demands. uh, And I think some more reasonable 
uh, easily implemented demands as far as uh, COVID-19 testing, and then simple things that for some reason pissed Twitter off. They're asking for <laughs> complimentary subscriptions to the Big Ten Network. That's it. And as Mello tweeted, and I'm so glad you said it like this, we are now employees of AT&T. We get incredible discounts on AT&T services. I get the Big Ten Network. Well, yeah, right. <laughs> like, and so we get amazing yep. perks as AT&T employees. And we in the AT&T hierarchy are nothing. We are peons in the AT&T network. But Big Ten players want their families to be able to watch these games because they probably won't have fans in the stands at these games. And people are mad at this on Twitter. I do not understand why that $25 Big Ten network subscription is the tipping point for the Doug Gottliebs of the world today. But it seems to be. Are we really to a point where we don't care about college athletes enough that we could be like, you know what? You already get a scholarship. We're not giving you access to watch your son play for free. You know, like a lot of these teams, if you're in Ohio State, you're Michigan, you're getting players from all over the country. So it's not like, oh, Ohio State's playing. It's going to be on the TV. Unless it's a national broadcast game, it's not going to be. And I think that if you are going as a scholarship on scholarship to the Big Ten, I wouldn't even say athlete. You should probably get a free subscription to the Big it's Ten. It's probably coming your tuition, right? If I'm a mathlete and I'm going to Michigan, go ahead and throw me that extra Big Ten Network subscription. But if I'm a football player or if I'm an athlete that's going to school there, I think it's a very reasonable ask. I think it's a really cool ask too, because I think it would be awesome if my daughters went on to play volleyball in the Big Ten and I couldn't make it up to Ann Arbor to watch them play. I'd love to be able to watch them do it on the Big Ten Network. And that's the way that society's going. Like technology is more readily available for everyone. You can watch it on your phone, your iPads, whatever. Give these parents and these family members access to see their students play because it's not just football. Football is going to be on TV if they have a season like every Saturday. But if your son or daughter's playing baseball, softball, swimming, whatever it is, I think it's really cool that the players are saying, let's give them an opportunity. It's not a, hey, let's get something for free. Let's slide this in there while no one's looking. And even if it is, who gives a fuck? Like, just let them watch the TV. University of Michigan. I, yeah, I don't get it. Go University ahead, of Michigan, guys, it costs $51,200 for an out-of-state student to go to the University of Michigan. $51,200 for tuition and fees. Yes. Tuition and fees, $51,000. If you pay $51,200 to go to Michigan, you should probably get the Big Ten Network for free. Yeah, you can just lump like, that in there. I, like, my daughter goes to Pitt State. Like, I need to check. We probably get the MIAA Network as part of her tuition. You know? <laughs> like, if not, we probably should. If not, should. tell her to hold out until right? you do. It, it's amazing. And I just can't believe the little things that we get upset about. Like, it's so minimal. Like it, it's, I don't know why anyone should be bothered by them asking that. And it's not like they're sitting there, it like <laughs> saying, "Hey, we want like we all want eighty inch, you know, Samsung <laughs> right sent to our parents' 4K. houses." That's not. It's not what they're saying. Like, like you said, Matt, working for AT and T, like we get incredible perks. Like when they hype things up, like HBO Max, like it, it makes you excited about it. Like especially this year with with COVID. There are, unfortunately, and I, I hate that this is going to be true, but it is, there are going to be family members that are not fit and not healthy enough to travel mm -hmm. to see their kids play sports. And it's the reality of the world we're living in, whether you believe it or not. It's 
And guess what? And even without a COVID world, there's still family members. Ever hear of grandparents that are like 85 years old? Right. Maybe they don't want to travel across their country, across the country on a plane to see their grandkid play. Why can't they just turn on the TV to watch them play? Like the the child is technically an unpaid employee of the Big Ten. I, it's just it's such simple things here. It's not they're not asking for a lot. So when I looked at that and saw the outrage. I mean, this is what we've always said. People can find a reason to be outraged over anything on Twitter, and and that was one of the climaxes it, last night. It honestly surprised me that they didn't already get that. It was like, wait, they don't I mean, already. I, I agree. They don't already get I agree. This? Like it's. I completely agree. It is. It's. It really is. Just. It's such a small thing, too. And it's not even like, oh, let's try to slip this in there and get something for free. It's just a cool way to keep parents involved. And honestly, it's a great thing for recruiting. If I'm the Big Ten and I'm a coach in the Big Ten, if I'm Ryan Day, like I'm pushing for this. Like, yes, now I can go to California and say, hey, you don't have to worry about watching your son on Saturdays. We've got you hooked up. You have the Big Ten network now. Yeah. Now you can see all of his games. And people are like, but with Title Nine, you have to give it to every athlete. Go okay. for it. Yeah, fine. That's okay. I'm sure these college students aren't paying for the Big Ten network anyway. Like, right. That's amazing. Uh, okay, moving on. No D2 or D3 football championships. And I, I don't want to to gloss over this because it deserves uh, it deserves time and it is a cause of concern that D2 and D3 have already said, hey, we're not having championships this year. Mello, we live in MIAA country. We've talked to coaches who were like, man, we ain't having a season. Like, we can act like we're having a season. We can think we're having a season. It's probably not going to happen. Uh, and it does seem like, and I'm not trying to be an alarmist or – pessimistic but the closer we get to seasons starting the worse i feel about it uh same and with d2 and d3 there's obviously there's not the money there that is in d1 to do any testing or protocols uh, which just goes to show you the discrepancy between like an alabama and alabama state or whoever i don't know but it it does suck for these athletes that they're not going to get that chance to work their ass off all year and play for a championship but a lot of people are suffering so it sucks for the athletes but it's just something you're gonna have to deal with this year yeah it's it's definitely a big deal Matt I mean I'm glad that you put it in the rundown today because it, it's eye-opening that you know it, it's a it's a shoe that drops right when you look at this it's like okay well there are other organizations that are unfortunately facing a tough reality that they won't have their football championships this year now like you said, Division One football, the the money's different, right? They have the funds that we think there's going to be like the proper testing for them to, you know, be able to play in their states because there's different protocols state by state during this pandemic. But it just further enhances how closely we're going to be watching the lead up to this Division One season right now in each conference. Yeah, it is. And it's like we all want football. I'm not rooting for the virus. I'm not rooting for football to be canceled. But I mean, we need football. We need like, it. Badly. Right? Yes. It, like my soul needs it, but my job needs it too. Exactly. That's like, what we, I mean by that. We need yes. something to talk about <laughs> twice a week. So, yeah, we. I'm rooting for football. Absolutely. Just for it to be done in a safe manner. Now, on the other side of that coin, guys, over 60 NFL players have opted out and before we take a break and get to some of our prospect breakdowns this is is key 
And, you know, we're seeing, as I mentioned, we're recording Thursday morning. We've seen Tredavious White take to Twitter to say, you know, how upsetting it is that he's trying to make a decision for himself and his family. He's, he's giving up millions of dollars. He's due for a contract extension. But he's doing this, you know, out of concern for the well-being of his family. And he mentioned his girlfriend's grandfather passed away from COVID-19. I can't imagine the gravity of these decisions for these young men. And I, I no matter how you stand on it, and, uh, you know, I'm a 49ers fan. We haven't really lost anyone to opt-outs. It's going to affect the season a whole lot as of now. But like, as human beings, I would think that we care more about our players as human beings than we do about their entertainment value or, you know, being the difference between a 7-9 and nine and 10-6 and, and six season. This is kind of a lost year anyway. Like, let's just enjoy it. I, I don't know why you thought that, Matt, because fans are absolutely ridiculous sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Should they uh, act that way? Yeah. And, and you should be like, okay, I support the player still. Because guess what? He's going to come back, and Tredavious White's going to be a Buffalo Bill for a very long time. So don't be too pissed off at him, because in 2021, I'll guarantee he's out there shutting down receivers. Be happy he's still I, Bill. Yeah, and this is a player that, you could make an argument, either him him or Stephon Gilmore, the best cornerback in football right now, and he's waiting for that big payday. So it's like, this is the opposite of selfish in my eyes, right? Like, he's doing this for his family when he could try to fight through this season, take the significant health risk, and obviously, you know, the family-related issue that he had, which is just tragic to fight for that big contract, which I think will still come whether he plays or not. You know, Trey White's just so such a great talent, such a good player. But I, I just think it's it's the exact opposite of selfish. And I think on the football side of this, guys, now in the AFC East, we've seen three of the best defensive players opt out from the AFC East with um, C.J. Mosley. Uh, obviously, as we're speaking, Trey White hasn't made it official, but he's hinted at it a lot. And Dante Hightower. I mean... That's a significant change in quality of football in one division, in, in my eyes. And it's just a very interesting thing to keep track of across the entire league. It really is. And for the Patriots especially, uh, I have an Huge. article coming out Friday morning. And I, I pulled a bunch of scouts and coaches like, hey, which rookies are going to have an impact? And a couple people said Kyle Duggar because Patrick Chung is sitting out. Oh, he has to play. And, and like, folks forget how big of a role he plays in that defense. But then also that like Duggar might have to step down and play some in the box because – the Patriots have also lost Dante Hightower. Yeah, I mean, they have like eight or nine players sitting out. So it's uh, Kyle Duggar's a, a big one who's going to have to step up. And again, like I, I don't want to speak for Melo and Connor, but my stance on this is I respect these decisions. I cannot imagine how hard it would be to, to especially if you're not a high-profile player like a Tredavious White, where you, like, you know you're going to be back next year. If you're right. a young guy, you know, or if you're a uh, if you're a Marquise Goodwin or a Brandon Bolden, and you decide to opt out, it might be it. You might not be asked back, or you might, you know, lose a hold on a roster spot or a spot in the depth chart hierarchy. It's a, it's a tough decision for these guys. Not to mention, I mean, one hundred fifty thousand dollars is a lot of money, but it's not compared to what they're actually making. That's the point that I was going to go with. Like these guys are making really hard decisions that are losing them, as some guys, millions of dollars. Most of the veterans that we're talking about, they're losing millions of dollars this season. Uh, because they feel like it's a good idea to sit out. It's not this them sitting around and being like, "Man, eh, not really feeling it this year. I'm just going to take the year off." Like they they've put a lot at stake here, and they've made a very difficult decision. And I hate seeing the fans online that are so pissed off. And thankfully, 
I don't follow many of them, but I've seen some of them like retweeted or you know, quote tweeted and stuff like that. I just, I can't believe being so selfish that you would want these players to go out and risk their lives. Or even just if they just said, you know what, I'm not really feeling it this year. Like you can't be mad at them. They're making career decisions. If you call in sick to your job, Tredavious White isn't like, what the fuck, man? Like, you were supposed to be there today. I was really looking forward to watching you deliver my packages for FedEx, and then you didn't deliver the package. (laughs) Like, get the fuck off your high horse. Let these players do what they want to do. Most of them will return next year, and it'll be fine. And it goes back to the conversation that we always have, is that playing in the National Football League is not like your job, right? Yes. Don't compare it to your job. It's not. It's, you know, there's a reason why there's a small, tiny, tiny little fraction of the world that gets to go on to play in the National Football League. It is not like your job. It is not a world of longevity. And the decision-making does not relate to any other career. So it's one thing that I think just, you know, to clarify, it's it's not the same. It's It's pretty close to a podcast host. I'd say those are about the two, right? But then after that, like, no one else can relate. Like, no one's tackling me today, I hope, knock on wood. Like, I hope no one's tackling me in the office today. Uh, All the days for us to not be on camera anymore. This is it. Okay, let's take a break. We come back. Breaking down Caleb Farley and Rashad Bateman. Welcome back. And I will say, uh, it, like, we don't get paid anymore if you guys listen to the ads or not. But the ads on Stick to Football are going to be l- worth listening to. They're going to be much more interesting going forward. Very well said. Very interesting. <laughs> Very well said, Mello. Uh, let's do some prospect breakdowns. Two players uh, that we, I believe, collectively have first-round grades on have opted out and declared for the 21 draft. Caleb Farley and Rashad Bateman. Uh, Mello, uh, if you want to go first, I think a lot of our notes are going to be similar on these guys, but I'm I'm curious to see uh, what y'all think. Uh, yeah. Caleb Farley, take it away. I mean, we have him plugged into our doc, and you can kind of see each other's notes, but it's very similar right now. We're all watching the same games. He, he doesn't have a lot of tape out there because he's actually been a little bit injured over his career, short career, and that's one thing that you go and you have to do. You have to look at injury history. Broke stays broke. Isn't that the saying? And Caleb Farley has a little bit of an injury history. I injured a knee in 2017, had to redshirt, missed some games last year with um, back spasms. So there's that too. But I do really like the player. And I have him comped to Marcus Peters. I love how aggressive he is and attacks the ball. And that's why I comped him to Marcus Peters. He's incredibly big for a corner. They list him at 6'2", 207. But athletic, great speed. Clocked at like 24 miles per hour GPS. An elite level athlete. I think he still has some technique to clean up. He came into Virginia Tech as a receiver. Mm -hmm. So he's still learning the position. But he's also going to take this fall and this spring and probably still work on a lot of that technique. Go to an Exos. Work on his 40 time. I really like the player. I have a first round grade on him. Um, I do think that he plays a little bit tall. A little high coming out of his stance at times. But I do have him as cornerback one and as a first-rounder in this draft. I mean, he's a phenomenal prospect, right? When you look at it, you, you nailed it. The the size, the speed, good length. I, I love how competitive he is for the football. When I watch this guy and look at what I have written down on paper for him, to me it's Marshawn Lattimore, right? Once again, really, really good length, really good speed, uh, constantly competitive when the ball is in the air. And you write down the question marks, and it's really just medical, right? With Marshawn Lattimore coming out, there was you know significant concerns about lingering 
lower body issues. I believe a lot of it was hamstring related. And I think with Caleb Farley, a lot of teams are going to write down questions about how he returns from having, you know, back issues, which is something much like uh, hamstrings that can linger throughout a career. So I I think with Farley, and I really do think they're a very similar player on the field. When you look, yes, I I like that Milo said, you know, in, in coverage, is he a little raw? Yeah, because, you know, he's an underclassman guy that has not had a ton of on-field experience. It's not like he's some three-year, full-season kind of starter. But if you're going to build a cornerback from scratch, this is exactly what you want him to look like, exactly what you want him to test like, because he will absolutely fly. And I really do like the competitive edge. There is no doubt about it, just to clarify after all of that, that I have a round one grade on Caleb Farley right now. Yeah, he's my number one corner in this draft and was uh, before he declared. I'm a big fan of his, and I think it's kind of the total package. Size, speed, Mello mentioned it, clocked at 24.16 miles per hour using GPS. The length is there at six foot two. The ball skills are there. Last year, four interceptions. Uh, I believe he had 16 passes defensed as well. Uh, He's an open field tackler. Uh, He'll come off routes he'll make sticks in the backfield Uh, if you watch the Miami game uh, in that game he has a great play where he comes off his route and tackles DJ Dallas in the open field uh, on like an outside toss play and then like two plays later he has an interception on a on a vertical route so he's well-rounded that I think is interesting we should do more of I actually noted that I didn't think he was good against the run really yeah so I I, that's what, yeah, because I liked him against the run. But but now I'm going to have to go back and like look at him against the run and be like, is he a willing tackler? And that's one of the reasons why I even comped him to Marcus Peters. It's like I think that this guy just wants to be a ball hawk, which play on my team any day. I don't care. Yeah. But I, I I will have to go back and see how he plays against the run. Well, I thought he located the ball really well. Like I felt like even though he's only have two years of tape at corner, uh, he was really aware at that position. And I think yes. it comes like he's just an athlete. The and ball's it, in the air. He's going to go find it. It plays through the receiver's hands, too, which is one thing that I absolutely love. There was a game, I think it was against North Carolina, where he was watching the receiver and he didn't have his eye on the ball even. But as soon as those receivers' hands went up, so did his. And he raked right through and, and broke up the pass. I really like his raw potential that he has. Yeah, so I copped him to Marlon Humphrey, uh, which uh, coming out of Alabama, I liked Marlon Humphrey's raw ability, but it was like, gosh, you're probably going to have to teach him how to do some things. And I think with Caleb Farley, his size and speed and athleticism are going to get him by while you refine some of that technique. Uh, Getting healthy is my biggest question. The back injury, last year he had surgery after the season, the knee injury uh, in his past as well. Those are my big questions for him. Uh, And again, corner one, uh, hands down. I think he's my number nine overall player as of today. Uh, Let's move on to Rashad Bateman, another me versus Minnesota wide receiver. It's going to be a fun year on Twitter.com. Can't wait for that. Uh, And I'll tell you guys, my positives right off the jump, his hands were incredibly strong. Yesterday before lunch, I watched like the first four games of the season, and then after lunch, I watched the rest. And it's like, I watched this dude beat up on South Dakota State, Georgia Southern, and Purdue, and Illinois. Those are the four games I watched before lunch. It was like, he looks like Jerry Rice against those teams. Like he's catching everything, but the route running is great. Uh, there is a catch against, I think, Georgia Southern where it's a one-hander in the red zone, and he like kind of tips it to himself and catches it, and you see the hand strength, the concentration. I think his vision with the ball in his hands is really, really good. You see his yak ability at times where 
he he gets upfield quickly and he has good vision with the ball in his hands. Now on the other side of that, he's not running away from players with his speed. He's a good route runner. He creates separation. He doesn't have the speed to produce yak at that clip. And so I think even against like Georgia Southern, against Purdue, I'm seeing him get run down by guys. And no disrespect to those programs, they're not that good. So those players are, this isn't Alabama where both corners run 4-3. And okay, you get caught by those guys, that's expected. So I comped him to Cortland Sutton. He's two inches shorter, but I think he plays a little bit bigger. And on slant routes, on comebacks, and he could play slot or outside. On those two routes, he's almost unguardable. I did not want to compare him to Michael Thomas because that's like my guy. That's you know my favorite receiver well. ever dra- ever evaluated. So I'm not going to put him there. But I can understand how people would look at the the route tree, especially and say like, "Ooh, there's some Mike Thomas there." I am that person too because that's who I have him comp to <laughs> is Michael Thomas. I, I don't know that he's going to land in a situation like Michael Thomas where he's catching 120 balls a year. Uh, but I do think they really play very similarly. You look at these guys, both of them around 6'2", 210, but they play 6'4", 220. And, and that's what I noted about Rashad Bateman. And I do think that he's an exceptional route runner. You talk about comebacks. The way that he breaks down at the top of the route, like corners have no chance. You can't click and close on him. Mm-hmm. And then he plays too big for D-backs to get their hands in there. So a great route runner on the routes he's asked to run. It is, it's a lot of comebacks. It's a lot of slants. But the dude does it, and he creates separation with his route. And when I look for speed with receivers, too, and that's what I question with him, it's if you're running that nine route, if you're running the fly, are you creating a lot of separation? And I don't think that Bateman is. And that that's kind of a knock. It's a question mark. But he's also going to have all fall and spring to work on that 40 time and prove to us that he can run in a straight line very fast. I do want to see him improve that, but he also, at the same time, he's not creating separation with his speed. He is a monster in, in coverage, though. There's a guy around him. He can go above the rim. He yep. can bring the ball down. He's going to be an exceptional red zone target. And even though he doesn't have great elite level 40 times speed, he's very tough to bring down after the catch. He'll put his foot in the dirt and he'll change directions. He'll weave in and out of guys. He's he's going to be a very good receiver, obviously, because I have him comped to Mike Thomas. And I do think that he could end up being first round type receiver. But this, is, like we said earlier, is a very deep class. It's going to be hard to be a first round receiver when there's five or six guys that could be you know competing for that spot. There's just not a lot of sophomore players at wide receiver that have the kind of tape Rashad Bateman have in terms of how quickly he wins off the line of scrimmage. I mean, it really, really is special when you watch that. And and I'm right there with you guys in terms of just the vertical speed might not be the best. Like, this wouldn't surprise me if we do get to the combine and Rashad Bateman runs a 4-6. And my evaluation doesn't change at all because it's exactly who we thought he is. My thing with Rashad Bateman is how quickly can you win? How quickly can you separate? And he is one of the best in this class right now at doing that at such a young age with so much production for that Minnesota offense last year. The best releases probably in this class, or at least top two, phenomenal routes, really, really strong hands, really tough at the catch point, and does not give a shit if you ask him to go over the middle. He'll do it over and over again if you need him to go over the middle. He's just, and there was times where he had to adjust back to the ball 
that, you know, the ball wasn't in front of him over the middle. He would actually have to turn back, and that's how strong his hands were, that he can reach back going full speed and snag it. So I looked at Bateman, and I go, I, I totally understand why he did this. I, I think when teams turn on the tape, they're going to see someone that is clearly an insane worker. Because for you to be at this level as a sophomore player, I mean, he looks like a polished pro out there. I compared him to Keenan Allen. There's just not a lot of guys that are that smooth, that savvy off the line of scrimmage, and then can turn it into great routes in and out of their break. So, you know, you look at Devontae Adams, Michael Thomas, Keenan Allen, Stephon Diggs. Those guys are so good at a lot of the things that Rashad Bateman has already shown he can excel at. And am I saying he's going to be a top 10 pick? No, probably not. He might not, you know, physically impress teams on film like a Jamar Chase. But should he be a round one receiver and probably a very, very productive rookie in the right offense? Absolutely. And I want to ask you guys this uh, unscripted question here. Tanner Morgan last year was thrown to Tyler Johnson and Rashad Bateman. And he had a very good year statistically. I am not a Tanner Morgan fan, and I'm curious if you guys are as a prospect. I think he's, uh, I think he's limited as a college quarterback. He's good, and I'm yeah. curious to see how good he is this year without those two. Uh, I love the PJ Fleck offense; those receivers are always open. It's a credit to their route running. I'm not a Tanner Morgan guy, not yet. I think that he's got a lot to prove, and I think draft Twitter and we're trying, we're all trying to find like. Who's going to be the fourth quarterback? Because history will yes, tell you that like, there's going to be four, maybe even five quarterbacks that go in the first round. So I feel like early in the spring, it was, ooh, Jamie Newman. Yeah. QB4, I love Jamie Newman. Jamie Newman this, Jamie Newman that. And then somehow it got to Brock Purdy even. And now it feels like it's come to Tanner Morgan. I, I'm going to say this. By October, it's going to be Sam Ellinger. And people are going to be like, oh, Sam's a man. Let me tell you, none of them are. Like, <laughs> if any of those those quarterbacks go in the first round, I, I think something happened that was really wrong. And I say that because I really like all of those quarterbacks. And I think they're really good college football quarterbacks. I just haven't seen anything from any of them that says, like, this is a, an NFL arm talent. And Tanner Morgan, the guy we're talking about, he's he's up there too. He had a great season last year. I hope that he has another great season this year because I'm kind of like a closet Gophers fan, but I, I don't see it as an NFL prospect. I thought he took some really nice jumps when you look at the 2018 to the 2019. I don't think I necessarily have gigantic expectations for him as a prospect right now. Like If you're talking about who that fourth guy will be, I think Kyle Trask is probably in that conversation um, you know, obviously Ellinger is somebody we've talked about for a while, so he's going to be always on that radar. It's going to be, it's wide open right now. And, and that's why once again, like this season, it, we can easily sit here and do a show guys where we tell you, Hey, here's 60 guys that could opt out of college football. And we know they're going in the top 75 picks because it, it, that doesn't matter. They're already that good, but there are a lot of these fringe guys that, I mean, Matt's talked about it before. Like, look at Joe Burrow. Like, if, if Joe Burrow didn't have a college football season last year, where do you think he would have gone in the draft? I could tell you. He would have gone in the fourth round. Yeah. So it's yeah, it, it really agree. does matter for so much for the Tanner Morgans of the world, for the Kyle Trask of the world, guys like that. Yeah, and I'm I'm kind of a Shane Bichelle fan. Like, he's little. But I'm I'm kind of I am kind too. of a Shane Bichelle I, fan. I like I like him, man. I've I have been have yeah. been a Shane Bichelle. Yeah. Even when he left Texas, I was like, nope, I get it, man. Go go after your opportunity at SMU and go ball out. And he did. Yeah, he has. All right, let's take a break. Draft on draft when we come back.
All right, it is draft on draft time. Thank you all for sending in the questions. And I've noticed even as we're recording Thursday, thank you guys for the five-star reviews. Uh, it's unfortunate when we get one-star reviews. Hate that. Uh, we do like feedback, though. So thank you for the feedback. Uh, some of the things that y'all have been upset about were outside of our control, uh, such as the break that we took. One on us. Uh, I'm reading that tweet as, as I you saw on your screen where somebody was like, one star review, you guys are lazy. It's like, no. We're because not. we took a break. Yeah, it wasn't, wasn't on us. So, But thank you to the people who have stuck around. Hopefully, those who are new listeners or returning listeners, you like what you hear. First question from Mason Whitlock. Which is more likely, the Dolphins winning the AFC East or the Bears competing for the NFC North crown? I don't think either is that far-fetched, to be honest. The AFC East, I have no idea what the pecking order is there. And the Bears are two years away from winning the NFC North. And last year, I believe they were 7-9 and nine with a very, very bad Mitch Trubisky. A lot of injuries uh, to that squad. Now, losing Eddie Goldman to an opt-out is going to be influential. But I don't think if the Bears get just average quarterback play, I think they have a chance to make a playoff run. I, I think that's that could be true. I'm actually going to go with the <laughs> Dolphins, though. I love Robert Flores and what he's doing in Miami. And I'm not, I have not been a Dolphins fan ever in my life. I hate their mascot. I think it's stupid. Uh, but I really like what they're building there. This is how much of a baseball guy you are. You said Robert Flores, who does MLB Network. It's Brian. Yep, that's Brian what Flores. I miss. You watch it too much Royals baseball. <laughs> Brian Flores. I just who is the, <laughs> and Connor didn't even catch him. Right. That's how much baseball he's been watching. <laughs> Roflo on the MLB Network with Steven Nelson. <laughs> okay, well, yeah. I just don't want us getting a one-star yep. review because you said Robert Flores. <laughs> but... I do like what the Dolphins are doing, and I wouldn't be surprised at all if they win the AFC East this year because I do think it's wide open. And it, later today, if we do see Tredavious White or some other Buffalo Bills on that defense opt out, that's going to drastically change their team. Or what if Josh Allen just comes out and sucks? I don't think that's that far-fetched. So I could see a very likely situation where the Miami Dolphins win the AFC East this year. I think if you asked me this for 2021, I would go with the Dolphins. I still think they really need another year of, number one, the offensive line is is a lot of young guys, young raw players that, you know, are they going to put Tua behind that line yet? I don't I don't know. And do I count on Fitz? Not really. I mean, he, he's just absolutely reckless, has some, has some good games, has a lot of bad games. They're, they are heading in the right direction. The defense is going to be young and exciting. They seemed very, very well coached from uh, from Brian Flores. <laughs> but I think for this year, I, I will roll with the Bears. I think a lot of us forget how good this defense can be. I think if you somehow get a healthy Robert Quinn, that might elevate Khalil Mack. I mean, that could be the best pass rush duo in football, Robert Quinn and Khalil Mack. It, yep. it really can be. And, of course, we've seen Nick Foles have these runs of play that I can't explain. I really I, – I cannot explain Nick Foles. I really can't. So we've seen him have these runs where he plays really well. Once again, the Vikings, the Packers, they're obviously going to be favored. But I, I'd go with the Bears here. I do think they can get hot and ride the heels of a good defense. Connor, I do – my draft on draft question. Where do you reasonably expect the Jets to finish in the East? Uh, I picked them to win five to six games. Okay. I'm about so there with third. you. Yeah. 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 I just, I, I don't, I mean, 
now you lost Jamal and CJ Mosley. <laughs> yeah. So like the, the thing that was really good last year, the defense and CJ didn't even play, but the defense was very good with Greg. The offense was like dead last in the league. Schedule is so much harder. I'm just being a realist. I just think there are five or six wins. I appreciate that because, uh, you know, last year Jets fans got really mad uh, when we did our, our preview. And I, I was I said like, they were going to go seven and, or six and ten, and they went seven and nine. People hated yeah, you for that. They did. They, they were right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Next question from Chris Whelan. Which originally scheduled college football game that has since been canceled are you going to miss the most? You cannot say Texas LSU, he says. Uh, so Alabama USC Alabama <laughs> USC is a great one how about uh, this is low key for me it was North Dakota State Oregon Number, yeah, we were gonna go gonna oh, to that game great one and yes. the Trey Lance against Javon Holland and the Dylan Cadens against Thibodeau like those were the those matchups were just like porn for a scout, baby. Like it was, I was ready. <laughs> yeah, and like, nope, don't get it. Really wanted to see Trey Lance against a really good defense. Yep, and we're gonna get that opportunity. Like I think the game was scheduled September twelfth. Yeah, like, I was pushing to go there for tailgate tour, and didn't happen. I, that's what the game that I'm most going to miss. It is still on my Bleach Report calendar, that game, which is just, I'm going to cry when I have to delete it. It's like, <laughs> gosh, dang it. That was the, I mean, yeah, USC, Alabama, that was a great one as well. I'm glad that we still get Clemson, Notre Dame, because that was a big one that we were really hoping for. Um, we were going to be there. Yeah. <laughs> again. Yeah, man, that sucks. Um, it felt like Oklahoma had a big game. We got canceled. I was going to say, I thought Ohio State had one. I don't know. But I have now, so much like, stuff in my brain. The I freaking internet updates so quickly <laughs> that I can't even go back and look at what their schedule was. Yeah. Those are big ones, though. Because it would have been nice to Oregon. see. Oh, yes. Was Ohio it Ohio State, State Oregon? Oregon? Yeah, because Oregon had going North Dakota Oregon. State and then Ohio State. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Old Cristobal is going to get tested <laughs> early this year. Man. No wonder the Pac-12 was like, hey, hey, hey conference only, conference only. Like, <laughs> Slow down there, We, we fucked up 20 years ago when we made the schedule. <laughs> yeah. Let's undo it. Yeah, no joke. All right, Garrett Greenlee asked, assuming the college football season is canceled, wow, we're going there, how much do you think a prospect's draft stock will get impacted if they run a sub-4-3-40, like, assuming a, a day-three prospect? I, I think that, that, Garrett, I mean, this is a good question, but prospects are so individualized that it's hard to say, I think, in a general statement, like, I, you know, there's the kid at Auburn, uh, it was Austin Schwartz, who's going to run probably in the 4 3 high four two range but he's a, a mid to late round pick i would think so like a guy like that it could help him a lot but again it's so generalized like what does the medical look like anthony Schwartz, excuse me what does the medical look like what size are they is there any production or is it just a complete you know crap shoot you're drafting a guy based on athleticism i think for a player like rondell moore where he was hurt last year if there's no college football this year that could affect him a lot like he would need to test really well because a small receiver there's going to be injury questions already and when you don't have that bounce back year, you're going to need to just, and he would, you're going to need to kill it at the combine. But we even saw like KJ Hamler fell in the draft as a small receiver who had been banged up a little bit. And he did have a good year, but because we didn't get the pro day, you know, the full run of testing for him, I do think it hurt his stock. Yeah. And for me, I have guys like Rashad Bateman, like just on my mind, they're at the forefront right now. So my mind went to him and like, if he comes out in the spring and runs a, like a four, three, nine or, you know, anything that's super fast, he's probably going to propel himself into receiver one. Cause the only question mark that we even came up with for this guy is, does he have long speed? And you will get those guys every once in a while that surprise you and run a blazing 40. And I think guys like that could really, 
improve their stock because you're not going to have as much tape. You're not if the if the season's canceled, you're not going to have those question marks that a lot of other guys have in years past. So I do think that coming out and running a four three could propel a guy from like round four to round two, round three to round one, uh, because we see it every year anyway. If a guy comes out and runs a four three, we start talking about him as a first round prospect. It's definitely a case by case basis, as you guys alluded to. But I think what you know the overall point of Garrett's question, which is a really important one is in this bizarre year, will a 4-3-40 elevate somebody more than it normally would? And I think the answer might be yes, right? Because there's less visits to schools, there's less tape, and that is a concrete number on paper that is a positive. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that, because he said assume the prospect's a sixth-rounder. I'm not going to say a 4-3 is going to take a sixth-round guy and make him a second-round guy. But can it get him to the top of day three as a fourth rounder? Absolutely it can. Because once again, the things that would normally propel other players over these combine warriors aren't, don't exist anymore. More tape, more interviews, uh, you know, more digging on character. Sure, all that stuff will still exist, but it's not going to be as easy this year. So I, I think it's it's definitely an important question, and it, it will be a little more skewed this year. Uh, next question. This is a tough one. I wish I'd seen this before we started recording. Jonathan Joyce says, if there are separate biographies written for each of you, what are the titles? I have wow. no idea. I think that's going to have to be the what the stickies leave in their reviews this so week. So I have Yeah, one. I don't have an answer for oh, that. You have yours? This is why I put it in here, too, um, because mine is actually part of my Twitter bio. And because I'm saving it. If I ever do anything popular, if I have a comedy show, if I have a book or a movie, the title of it is going to be P.S. I've Been Drinking. Oh, that's good. And Dang, it's right there. I like that. In the, in yes. the Twitter bio. So saving that one just in case I ever hit it big. So in my Twitter bio, I have Port Neat and Have Fun, which is something I said to you guys. We were at a bar yes. like after a game <laughs> or something, and they were I ordered whiskey. And I they started were, dying laughing. And they were like, how do you want that? And I was like, Port Neat and Have Fun. And, and it just stuck. So maybe that's what mine would <laughs> there be. There you go. Yeah. Now we got to come up with one for Connor. I was going to say, I do not have one at all. I can lift That's, more than you. <laughs> in case, yeah. <laughs> oh man, yeah. A title, a title to be named later. Mister we'll, Unlimited we'll is unfortunately out. taken. <laughs> oh, I, I, you know what? I actually was going with that until I saw Russell Wilson claimed it. <laughs> that is bastard. Not, is he not the greatest weirdo of like yes. the greatest athlete that is such a strange person That's, of all time? Yeah, I was talking the other day i don't even remember who probably matt but i was like how can russell wilson be so good on the field and so bad off of it like you watch this guy play and you're like man i'd i'd love to just crack some beers open with that guy and hang out with one of the greatest quarterbacks of this generation and then you see his twitter and it's like what the fuck is this guy doing and how the hell is he with sierra like, what does she yeah. see that is so maybe well, it she, makes me have questions about her, <laughs> right? Yeah, she must just be scouting the player on the field and not the player off the field because I don't know what it is about. It. He is one of my favorite players in the NFL, and I can't stand to consume his content. I, the word cringy comes up a lot of times when you see his tweets or or, or see him speak, I guess. Yeah, eh. but as we shit on Russ, I'll say this it, I mean, he is very cringy, absolutely, <laughs> but. Obviously, tough as shit and incredible player. Yeah. But, I mean, it's he seems just like a corny dad. 
Like, that's just yep. what he is, which, if that's what you are, like, it's pretty harmless in comparison to a lot of other options. Yeah, right. So, we're not we're not worried about his, uh, you know, off-field. He doesn't have any problems off the field. You know, this isn't anything crazy. It's just... But, man, he is corny. strange. <laughs> he is a little bit weird. Uh, all right, another question. Is Israel uh, Mukuamu from South Carolina a top-five cornerback worthy? I probably butchered your last name, buddy. I'm sorry. Uh, there's no pronunciation guide uh, on your bio yet, so ask the Gamecocks to get that there. So I am intrigued by him, and he is a player I've had a lot of conversations with agents about this summer as they like form their list and I form mine. And we're talking about a 6'4", 205-pound corner. And South Carolina, both corners at South Carolina are good. And so I think it's like a which do you want? Good, You know, they're both big. They're both good. I don't know about top five corner. J.C. Horn is the other one. Maybe. He's probably right at five for me on the corner list because there's Caleb Farley. There's Sean Wade. Patrick Sertan at Alabama. Those are my top three. I actually have J.C. Horn at four. And then uh, Adebo at Stanford, uh, Israel from South Carolina, and Elijah Molden at Washington, Eric Stokes at Georgia. So there's like eight or nine guys uh, who are in a clear category, but I don't have the fifth one firmly locked down yet. Right. I would say I'm kind of the same. I have Farley, Sertan, Wade, even Paulson, Adebo. I think Josh Job at Alabama is another really good corner who – Hasn't had a lot of opportunities like the other guys have. Georgia has two good corners, Eric Stokes and Tyson Campbell, that are young guys that could get on the field. So I don't have, I'm not even going to try to say his name, I don't have him up there as a top five guy yet. Uh, I believe it was the Alabama game that Matt, I think you even told me to watch. Like, hey, you got to watch these South Carolina corners yeah. against Alabama. That was not a good game for them. Nope. <laughs> so no. that has them pretty low on my Which, list. Which that might not be fair, but like that's NFL level level receivers. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I, I remember watching that one being like, ooh, buddy, you gotta check this out. Uh huh. Ain't good. Yeah. I wouldn't go top five either. What I do think is interesting with our, our boy Israel here, he might be a top five safety at the end of this draft class. Yeah, he's a big yeah. guy. I, I just you watch him play and everything he does translates to being you know, in zone coverage or, you know, as a not a single high guy, because I don't know if he has that kind of speed, but really a, a shell, a cover shell, uh, too deep kind of safety because he has such good ball skills, such good length. He he really does play the ball well in the air. I don't know if he'll be a guy that you play as this, you know, boundary or field cornerback that you're asking to press, that you're asking to you know, jam and, and bail and run with kind of receivers. I'm just not sure if he's that guy. You just don't see a lot of six foot four guys do that at the NFL level, maybe at the college level, but it's just not very common. And I'm not saying that he can't do it, but like, you know, the last one we saw do it was Brandon Browner, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, probably it's kind of been a while. I mean, he's, he's been out of, and Browner had some years. He also had a ton of penalties and they only call more penalties now, but you know, I'm not writing him off as a corner. I just, I really like his skill set at safety. Yeah, I'm a fan of his. Here's a corner name to like bury on your list and remember uh, from Central Arkansas, Robert Rochelle. He is yes. a stud. Uh, Jim Nagy and I were talking about him early, early summer because, you know, I haven't been here. Somewhere. Getting like your list of players is, it can be difficult. Like you have to talk to a lot of people because you don't want to miss anyone. And so even in the like, 
you're not taking that person's opinion. You're just writing that player's name down, getting them on your list so you can watch them. But Nagy was like, this dude might be the fastest corner in college. Say his name again. Robert Rochelle. It's R-O-C-H-E-L-L at Central Arkansas. Good he's player. He's not on my list, so thank no, you. No, he's so, going to be four threes probably. Yeah, F- Feldman is claiming that they have him at four three eight right now, and more importantly, at six one two hundred pounds, a forty one inch vertical. Oh, so he's got he's he's kind of freakish, and I do think he can graduate on time to be Senior Bowl eligible this year. Yeah, seems like it. Uh, I had him down at eighteen PDs and five picks last year. So like small yeah, school freakish. guy, but yeah, good good player. So there's your sleeper of the day, Central Arkansas. Pride of Scotty Pippen. Oh, that's right. That's right. Is he a yes. janitor too at first? I don't. I don't know. I hope so. I don't know. Hopefully, he doesn't get uh, killed on his contract like Scotty did. All right, Pat Chamberlain's got one for us. And when I saw Melo tweet last night, like his six draft on draft questions enough, I wanted to reply. Well, that's all Pat Chamberlain. Like he's going to send in six questions. So is this just the 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 Patty draft on draft or not? Uh, here's his question: Since football is going to get canceled, love the optimism today, boys. Now, who are y'all rooting yeah, right. for in the hockey? And I think he meant basketball bubbles instead of, uh, he said football, but basketball bubbles. So hockey and f- basketball bubbles, who are y'all rooting for? Uh, hockey, I'm a Preds fan. Uh, and basketball, I did not have a team uh, because I just, I hadn't been watching a lot of basketball. But uh, because Mello and I do some local radio now, I had to pick a team. And I'm a Denver Nuggets fan. <laughs> Uh, I didn't know that that was like an official thing for you now. Well, it is now. I just said it. (laughs) Yeah. I'm struggling because when I don't watch hockey, so I can't answer that question. But with basketball, when Kawhi signed with the Clippers, it's like, well, I'm just going to follow him and and be a Clippers fan. But I've struggled to root for the Clippers. But I kind of became a Grizzlies fan. So, um I'm, but I don't like the way they're playing. I think I want to see the Lakers win the championship this year, though. Ugh. And even now, like I'm just I've cursed basketball teams because now they're kind of playing like shit too. So I I don't know. I don't really have a rooting interest. I did find myself really rooting for Portland the other night. So we'll see what happens with that. Yeah. So I don't talk about it a lot on this pod, but I'm a diehard New York Rangers fan. So they are out. They got swept in the playoffs, which is fine. They've been rebuilding. Uh, they could actually get the number one pick. I don't even want to begin to explain how fucking ridiculous the hockey lottery is that a playoff team can get the number one pick in the draft. But I'm a diehard New York Rangers fan, and I am a Knicks fan, so they are not in the bubble. Do you know how bad you have to be to not even make it to the NBA bubble? So when the Knicks aren't on, which and when they are on, it's usually miserable. Uh, I root for Donovan Mitchell because he's like a diehard Mets fan, and I just mm. like him. So that's – with the NBA, I I find myself – and I know a lot of college football fans do this. I root for players, and I know you guys do yeah. too. Yep. Like I, the Knicks have been so bad for so long that I have to just watch the sport and root for the stars that I like. Otherwise, I wouldn't get any enjoyment out of watching basketball anymore. Same. Where with like hockey and baseball – like, I love the Rangers and Mets. Absolutely love them. But with basketball, it's just like... I actually heard Chris Long talking about this because I, I've he said on his podcast that he's a huge Knicks fan, always has been. He's like, if you're like a fan of a team like the Knicks, and there's a lot of teams like this, you deserve like a second team because they're that bad. 
But I haven't found that second NBA team, so I just root for players. Does that work for me as a Royals fan? I, I was going to say, I used to do this all the time yeah. for the I Royals. Think so. like, yeah, I I'm think so. Yeah, I think so. They're miserable for a while. AL team and an Currently. NL team. Yeah, they're so, so fucking bad right now. But, but, but before the World Series, like, they were really yes. bad for we're, a ridiculous amount of time. We're back to that level. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. It's like yeah. you're rooting yeah. for the It's the opposite team. of Texas. Like, we're back. Yeah, we're the back. Royals suck again. Yeah, so, like, I'm a Nats fan. Like, I, I love Juan Soto. Uh, so yeah, he's amazing that, that thankfully he's back now, but like, that's the, what happens for me in basketball. I find myself rooting against people more than for people. I get a little victim of that as well, too. I don't know why. Like I'm trying to think of players. I, I haven't liked mine is Zion Williamson. Mine's James Harden and Russell Westbrook. Yeah. I don't, I don't like the Rockets at all. I just find them a tough team to root for now on the flip side. And a lot of people aren't like this, like, I find it very easy to root for LeBron. I don't understand I do why. Too, actually. Right? Like, I don't understand. the. I guess when you're that good, you're always going to have a lot of hate. It's as simple as that. Like, Kobe went through it. Which is why we get one-star yeah. reviews. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. There you go. My very, LeBron very good thing is I love him as, like, a man, a father, a human being. I think he's exceptional. I'm just, like, I'm of that age where I hate when people say he's better than Jordan. And so it almost, like, I'm not rooting against LeBron. I just want him properly ranked. <laughs> Like, if you want to call him the second greatest basketball player of all time, go for it. That's I'll, where I put I'll him. root for him. But, like, let's just be honest about these things. Uh, okay. We, Mel- Mello, where do you stand on the GOAT debate? Same. I, I think that it's Jordan uh, just because I grew up watching Jordan. But then I also love LeBron, though. And I have him, like, cemented number two. I'll listen to any debates or discussion about why LeBron is number one. He might be the most complete player that we've ever seen. But I've That's never, I've never seen like somebody will a team to victories like Jordan did. Even as a child watching it, it's like this dude is just different. And I, I think that a lot of players, even like Kobe, like wasn't on Jordan's level when it comes to that. So for me, it's Jordan as a player. Like if I'm choosing a team, and you say you get one player, it's Michael Jordan. If you could, if you say you could have anybody in the world's athletic ability taking LeBron James. For me, it's like Jerry Rice versus Randy Moss. Jerry Rice is the yeah, greatest receiver of all time. That. Randy That's Moss like pretty, is the yeah, most talented accurate. receiver of all time. It's like greatest versus most talented. He's like Tom Brady. He is not the most talented quarterback of all time, right. but he is the greatest. And like Jordan had that, like, you're never out of the game when he's on the field. You know, it's like, hey, like you can be down 28-3 and come back. That's how I – every analogy for me goes back to football. But that's how – that's where I stand on those guys. Same. Okay, we got really off topic there. We I did. love it when that happens. <laughs> we right? did not stick to football. Nope, nope, that's good. Okay, JT Wistrasil. Hey, guys, glad you're back. Rank the first-round rookie receivers based on how good they will be in year one. Uh, that 2020 wide receiver class was historic, and a lot of people have said, like, oh, well, rookie receivers are always going to struggle out of the gate. They're never going to you know, produce the, the clip we expect. I would argue Michael Thomas exceeded expectations his rookie year, uh, almost had 100 catches. Um, so this year, when I look at the rookie receivers, Henry Ruggs is going to play in the slot. He's going to have a ton of opportunity. He has a veteran quarterback. I think that's going to help him. Uh, C.D. Lamb, also probably going to play in the slot, has a veteran quarterback. That's going to help him. And then uh, Jerry Judy, uh, not going to play in the slot. He's going to play all over. He has a young quarterback. Jalen Rager has Carson Wentz. That helps. Justin Jefferson has uh, Kirk Cousins. That definitely helps. And then Brandon Ayuk has Jimmy Garoppolo, who's not any good. So if I had to pick one of those, like if you want stats, I would probably go with Henry Ruggs. 
But as far as like impact, I think CeeDee Lamb. I was going to say CeeDee Lamb. And obviously we were huge fans of his last year. But you even have guys like Amari Cooper coming out and saying like, the plan is for us to have three receivers go for a thousand yards. And they might. Like I, I honestly think that so many people are going to be focused on the other two receivers that CeeDee Lamb is probably going to go unnoticed and have one hell of a you rookie You can only year. cover so many people. Right. You better have three elite-level corners, and I can't think of a team that does, especially in the NFC East. So I, I think that CeeDee Lamb is going to have a, a huge year. Could even be like a guy to watch for your fantasy teams. I think that he's going to be special year one. Uh, C.D. Lamb all the way for me, but I think the the sneaky one in this conversation is Michael Pittman with the Colts because opportunity, Philip Rivers, I think he's going to be asked to come in and handle a really really high volume of targets, and I think when you look at Philip Rivers' history with different wide receivers throughout his very long career, uh, Pittman kind of has a lot of the traits that Rivers tends to constantly even force the ball to at times. Yeah, it's almost like the he's a mix between Mike Williams and Keenan Allen a little bit, which I think yep. will work for Phil pretty well uh, as what we've seen in the past. Right, Paul Esden says, who would be the best rookie in the NFL that was drafted outside of the first round? This is Ooh. a very tough question. Can you just say Michael Pittman again? You just go there. Um, yeah, right. It kind of feels that man, way. Man, I'm such a big look. Antoine Winfield Jr. Damn fan. You, if he Matt. can stay healthy, How I hate you? you so much sometimes, right? Uh, <laughs> if he can stay healthy, he's going to be really, really good in Tampa. Uh, so Antoine would be mine. If I have to take one more since that was going to be Mellows. Yeah. Um, let me th- Daryl Taylor in Seattle. He's going to have to be their guy rushing the quarterback because like Clowney's gone. The rest of their pass rushers are old. So I think Taylor, again, if he can stay healthy, his first step was so, so clean coming out of Tennessee. Yeah. I mean, you definitely took my answer. So I'm going to go with uh, Kyle Duggar. I think what he can be with the Patriots, like we talked about earlier, uh, he's going to step into a role that is tailor-made for him. I mean, a perfect fit for this situation. And he's going to have a lot of opportunities, probably starting week one, to excel with the New England Patriots. I think this one's easier than you guys made it out to be. I think it's DeAndre Swift with the Lions. I, I mean, when you look at his what he's walking into, they haven't had a player like him at the running back position in so long where he should come in and, and absolutely make a huge, huge impact. I My only concern there is, like, will they try to ride on Johnson a little bit more? Um, and rookie running backs are hard for me this year. Probably. I mean, safe bet. Uh, rookie running backs are hard for me. I wonder how much we're going to see them early because of the lack of training camp preseason. Like, are you going to get on the field with pass pro? Uh, DeAndre Swift was my top back last year. I think he was all of our top backs last yeah, year, actually. Um, so, yeah, he should be very, very good if given that that opportunity. Uh, let's throw a Jets question in here for Connor. They need they need some good news. Dam Supa asks, who's the best receiver prospects for Sam Darnold in the 2021 draft? We talked a lot about receivers today. Uh, now, they have a bigger guy in Denzel Mims. So, I look at it as you cannot go wrong with Jamar Chase. He fits everything. No, can't. <laughs> I would love, love, love for Sam Darnold to have a Jalen Waddle who could be a catch-run yep. kind of guy. Um, I, I don't know that, that Devonta Smith is... I don't want people to think this is a negative to me. He's a possession receiver. He has great hands. He's a good route runner, but he's a possession receiver to me. So I would favor the guys. Like if you're going to take one with that, you know, a top 10 pick that we think the Jets will probably have, it's Jamar Chase, maybe Jalen Waddle. If it's with the Seahawks pick, which is probably going to be in the 20s, that's where you look at a, a Sage Surratt as another big target, a jump ball guy, uh, a, a Rondale Moore as a, Rondale a jitterbug, Moore, yep. or Rashad Bateman in there too. 
Yeah, I mean, I don't want to just sit here and echo exactly what you said, but that's kind of my thinking too. I think spot on. Denzel Mims is a big receiver, so you probably want a little bit different receiver. So maybe a Jalen Waddle or a guy that can come in and be a burner uh, or Rondale Moore, somebody like that that can do opposite of what you're going to see out of Denzel Mims. Yeah, I think when you look like the the non-chase answer, it just makes so much sense to get a guy like Waddle, who should be a 4-3 kind of player. And, and then you got to wonder, and this always probably disappoints Jets fans when I say it, I don't think Joe Douglas is a guy to take a first-round wide wide receiver. I think we saw I, that I really last year. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yep. Like, they still need a right tackle. They still need cornerbacks. They still need an edge pass rush. I, I just think he'll look at those things first and then say, hey, on day two, I'll, I'll get my guy. You might be looking in the Chris Olave territory, Shit, I mean, with Sam's middle-of-the-field style, they might be a Kyle Pitts tight end drafting yeah. team. I know they have Chris Herndon there, but they're going to run a ton of 12 personnel. So it's a lot of different directions they can go, but I thought Matt's breakdown of like the order, it makes a ton of sense. Uh, Gregory Russo at Miami is my Jets guy yes. to watch as a top 10 pick. Oh, it's He's like fit. cemented as the top edge rusher in this class, I think, whether he plays or not. And, God, he would be such a, a great, great fit there. Uh, let's do one more. Ryan Thompson asked, uh, what were our reactions to the Dolphins after looking like they found their franchise quarterback, a hell of a coach, and a good offseason, especially after the media was tearing them apart last year? He said Chris Greer is the man. So no Robert Flores conversations there. We talked about the Dolphins a little bit earlier, and I liked what Connor said. I feel like they are a 2021 team. I mean, they have three rookies that were drafted somewhat early to play on that offensive line in Austin Jackson, Robert Hunt, and Solomon Kindley. How well those guys come along is going to be huge. It, like, I don't want to call this a redshirt year for the Dolphins, but it might be a redshirt year. Like if, if people say, oh, they were tanking last year, well, Chris Greer won them too many games to tank, uh, and Brian Flores did. And this year, though, it does feel like they drafted a lot of guys who it's like, God, in 21, they could be special. Yeah, and I talked about them earlier. I really I wouldn't be surprised if we say like, "Oh, this is a redshirt year," and then they excel because last year it was, "Well, the Dolphins are going to tank. They're putting themselves in a position for Tua," and then they outplayed every, who we thought they were, and then they brought in really good free agents. I I don't think anybody had a better free agent class than what the Dolphins did, and they're getting guys that fit their scheme. If Ryan Fitzpatrick can come in and have any little bit of magic left in that arm. I think this is a team set up to be very successful, at least in the AFC East. I, I don't think they will finish last in the AFC East. I mean, yeah, it's going to, I just, they're so unpredictable right now because of the quarterback situation. I have a really hard time just sitting here projecting the Dolphins in 2020. Now projecting them, in, like we said, in future years, you know, really like Tua back there. Do think they have a bit of a ways to go. Similar, you know, like how I just said, the Jets need a right tackle still. The Dolphins still have holes on that offensive line, even after, you know, I like Robert Hunt a lot. And I think, you know, when you look at Austin Jackson, we'll see how that goes, but they still have holes besides that. But the defense is going to be right, and the defense is going to keep them very, very competitive. And I think, you know, we're going to see how Preston Williams comes back from the torn ACL. Albert Wilson opting out, that hurts. It quietly, quietly hurts. So, yeah. You know, they're they're going to be a very competitive team. And I think that's all you can ask for right now for a team that I mean, this time last year, we were talking about the Dolphins needing a three year rebuild. It, it feels like that accelerated a little bit. So I think that's the big positive note from them. I like Chris Greer. You know, a lot of people I know that work down there have just 
the best things I've ever heard about a coach in Brian Flores. They just they love being around him. Uh, he he has that franchise. It's a tough place to coach because you know people say because there might not be the fan influence in the area. There's a lot of variables, but they feel like Brian Flores is actually turning the Dolphins around where it's, you know, a team that you can be excited about. Yeah, I know I am very excited about what they're doing, uh, and I cannot wait to see Tua play football again. I think with the injury— Hopefully we we do this year. With the injury and the rise of Joe Burrow, I do think it was forgotten just how good Tua was when he was on the field. calling him Drew Brees. Yeah, yeah, and like not— hyperbolic like guy looks like drew Brees. yeah I, I still think that's the player that he can be uh, hopefully the injuries clear up uh it is rough to see that many injuries happen while you're in college for three years but i i hope the best for Tua. he's a guy that i really am rooting for It'd be two jerseys at the next stick to football meetup whenever we can make that happen uh have a good weekend and we will be back tuesday (laughs) don't forget new schedule tuesdays and friday so enjoy your weekend uh wear your mask wash your hands do our part so we can get football back for mellow and connor smap we'll talk to y'all real soon